What is up, movie friends? Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. I'm Anthony. And this is James. And today we're going to be doing an episode on The Truman Show, which came out in 1998, directed by Peter Ware, written by Andrew Nichols, starring Jim Carrey, Laura Linney, Ed Harris, and Noah Emmerich. An insurance salesman discovers his whole life is actually a reality TV show. The best way you can support our show is to go to patreon.com slash Raiders of Lost Podcast and become a patron. Patrons get special perks like personalized messages, personalized videos, upcoming podcast schedules, and top-tier patrons get a shout-out on the podcast once a month. Head on over to our new website, Raiders of the Lost Podcast, to check out all of our merch, our apparel, our custom movie posters, find all of our content, all of our social media, contact us. You can also become a patron there. The Truman Show is an amazing movie, and I think it's very underrated. And if you look at IMDb, I think it has an 8.1 rating, which is extremely high for a movie. It's rare for any movie to get over 8.0. So this is a testament that people adore this movie. It also has almost 1 million reviews on on IMDb. And this film showcased Jim Carrey's talent because he was known as a comedian up until this point. And yes, he was dominating the 90s, but he was just playing silly characters and um, using his strength in comedy to find success. And then this showed a new side to Jim Carrey that no one had ever seen within him. Yeah, it's a million ratings, not reviews. Someone's going to be like, it's actually ratings, so I'm just going to fix that for you. But um, it's ranked 167 on IMDb's Best Films of All Time user list, which is incredible. And Andrew Nichol wrote a fantastic script. He's known for Gattaca. He did Lord of of War also, and he directed both of those films. And if Goodwill Hunting never came out the same year, it definitely would have won Best Original Screenplay because it's absolutely phenomenal, just the concept itself. And it got the film got three Oscar nominations, including Best Original Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor for Ed Harris, and Best Director. And it's a damn shame. I mean, Ed Harris is terrific in this movie, but Jim Carrey's on a different level, and he didn't even get a nomination for it. Yeah, and this is also um, directed by Peter Weir, who's a fantastic director. He made Master and Commander. He did Dead Poet Society, um, and he also did Witness with Harrison Ford. So he's made a bunch of really fantastic films. Um, most people probably don't know him by name, but he is an, a phenomenal filmmaker who's made amazing films. And he and Carrie collaborated on this project. And Jim Carrey was someone who, at this point in his career, he still had a lot of control because he was the biggest star in Hollywood. And he was still, he was very heavy, big on improvisation. Peter Weir isn't really big on improvisation. So they had to kind of butt heads for a while. And then eventually when Peter Weir saw his genius on display, he allowed Carrie to improvise so much. So a lot of what uh, Truman does in this movie, yes, it's written in the script, but there's so much that Carrie brought to the screen that wasn't on the page because of how great of an actor and performer he is. He's a genius. And I just want to shout out the music composer of this film. The music is incredible, and it, it complements the character of Truman so well and, and the pain he goes through, the trauma throughout the course of the film, then the uplifting moments and and his discovery of the truth. And I think that the music is one of the most underrated parts of the film, but the concept itself, it's just so fascinating. And I'm, I'm sure we've all imagined that we're like the main player in a simulation, like everyone in the world's watching us or in, in the film, it makes you really question your reality. It's very similar to the matrix. You know, is everyone around me fake? Is this all a simulation is this all done on purpose. And I love the main themes of this film. And a lot of it is God and fate and reality and, and trauma also. And so I think it's a very deep film after you watch it a few times and understand the the core elements that the filmmakers are trying to express. And this film, it showed the, it, it was a precursor to the rise of reality television because at this point, reality television was still mostly game shows and 
Um, the real world had come out in the early 90s before this. What about Big Brother? Big Brother came out in 99. So in a different country. Yeah. It came out in 2000 in America. But real world started in 92 on MTV. So that was the first real foray into reality TV for America. Mad that, real. Mad real. That wasn't a game show. And th- this movie sh- was ahead of its time in terms of showing people's fascination with, with reality TV. And, and there's a, it's, it's a question of why are people so intrigued with it because reality TV has overtaken most of cable and between Netflix and Amazon and every cable network, there's everyone has a reality TV show and there's more than you can count. And everyone has, there are different reality TV shows for whatever interests you have. That's how many there are. And there's just something different about reality versus narrative fiction storytelling that people just seem to be fascinated by. And this, this film questions that and shows that intrigue. And, and there's just something about, reality tv that shows people love watching behavior they like watching people just be nothing going nothing in terms of story or plot and people are gravitating to this more and more each year and the irony with reality tv is so much of it is staged and fabricated and planned to happen much like truman's entire life and his entire storyline because you know you watch these reality shows and obviously the producers are in the back planning these situations like have that person do this we're gonna plan this kind of event for for this situation so it's in a way similar to how they described in the film uh his his best friend in the film played by noah emmerich marlin he says in his early interview like the the fake the interview of the of the cast before the movie really starts he's like everything in the show isn't fake it's just controlled even to the extent where reality tv shows even when they are real like people are having actual conversations and interactions you have to imagine the producers and crew are like, okay, you stand there and let's just put a light right there. So there's a, an, even if something is realistic, there is an eventful staging of what, whatever it is. You know what I mean? So things are put in place to depict these things. You can even say that TikTok is an extension of reality TV and social media is an extension of reality TV where um, just how in this film, Kristoff is using the show to broadcast to the world this r- reality of Truman's life with social media, everyone broadcasts their own reality to the, to the world, whether it be posting Instagram stories or or making TikTok videos or Snapchats. You're you're essentially broadcasting to the world your reality. In a way, yeah. So we all kind of, or a lot of people became Truman in the Truman Show to an extent. Obviously, they're not being broadcast to two billion people twenty four seven for over ten thousand days, but we are. A lot of people are putting themselves out there on a daily basis in terms of content. I mean, we do that too. And I want to stay on reality for a little bit. You know, one of the great concepts of the film is, is there a difference between a manufactured reality and a real one if you can't tell the difference? And in, in the course of the film, we learn from Kristoff, the, the basically godlike figure who created this world for Truman. He's in charge of the show. He's manufactured this real this world that to Truman is real and everything about it is real. And that's one of the reasons why he says he, he never really questions it until – Towards the end of towards the end of this, towards day ten thousand and on, when things start to happen, he's never questioned his reality because if that's all you were presented with, you ex- you would accept it. And so Truman has accepted this fake reality, despite it being so odd in a way when we watch it from the outside. And they're really great with how they present this to the audience because it's not like uh, the show is a twist in the story. We're shown that it's a show in the opening of the film where. They staged this great documentary-style introduction of the film with these even fake credits for the actors who are portraying the other cast members on the show, and and it's the head talking heads interviews with like Meryl and Marlon and 
and uh, Kristoff. And so they set up the world for us very quickly and established what it was, but they still left a lot of it up in the air. And Peter Weir and Nichols slowly rolled out how the show, what is created, how it's filmed, how it's edited. And to an extent, for the first act of the film, we're watching what audiences at home are watching for the most part. Yeah, because within, I think it's about the hour mark, 60 minutes in, the v, the entire veil is lifted from the show, from Truman's reality, and we get like the trailer or the commercial, the opening of the actual show. You know, 1.7 billion people watched when he was born. It's across 220 countries. And, and now we truly understand the extent of how many people around the world are watching him. Despite we get little glimpses of people watching the show before that happens. But now we understand it's the biggest show on earth. And everybody's been watching Truman since he was born. This episode is sponsored by Writer Duet, the new standard for screenwriting software. Head on over to writerduet.com slash raiders. Again, writerduet.com slash raiders to subscribe for a 30-day free subscription of Writer Duet. If you write screenplays or you're an up-and-coming filmmaker, you know that screenwriting has a very strange format. It's very complicated. And, and if you want to make it in the industry, it has to look right. Anyone who reads your script that doesn't look correct will throw it right in the trash. And so Writer Duet helps you solve that problem. It has cloud-based access. It's streamlined. It's super easy to use. And make sure your format of your screenplay is perfect. You can co-write these scripts online across the globe with a friend of yours. It's a cloud-based access, kind of like Google Documents. Famous users have also been using Writer Duet, including Christopher Ford, who wrote Spider-Man Homecoming. All you have to do to receive this 30-day free trial of Writer Duet is to head on over to writerduet.com slash raiders. Again, writerduet.com slash raiders. They introduce the audience in a really funny way. The first time you ever see audience members is those two security guards at like a parking lot inside of like their little office. And it was after Merrill and Truman are uh, being intimate in bed together. And the the security card cut jokes that, oh, they never show anything. There's just like a curtain will, will blow in the wind and that's it. And so that it was like a joke how they um, showed us the audience for the first time. Yeah, and then also they bookend the film with those two guys and, and they go, once the show's over, once Truman leaves, they're like in the broadcast is cut. They're like, oh, what else is on? And then the movie ends. Yeah, check TV guide. And it's really fascinating. And then... Let's talk about Jim Carrey for a little bit because he plays Truman Burbank and one of his best roles easily. And his name is an obvious connection to film and TV studios in Burbank, California that so many shows and movies are shot on. But also the name Truman obviously directly means true man is this real person in this fake world. And you can honestly expect or believe that Jim Carrey was already prepared for this role because he was such a famous person in the 90s. I mean, we've talked about his run in the early to mid-90s, how insane those movies were, Ace Ventura and The Mask, and how on top of the world he had been at the time. And so he's already been dealing with constant paparazzi and people watching him in real life in general. Yeah, so you can imagine he was the perfect for this role. And also he adds the humor, which uh, and so much charisma and natural levity that so few actors can show on screen. Um, for example, like those scenes with him playing with the reflection and drawing little things in, with the bar of soap, that was completely improvised by him and it became iconic moments of, of the film. Truman is a fascinating character because he, he's someone who, he seems like he's a good guy and tries to do the right thing. Um, and he's very innocent, naive. And the reason why he's so innocent and naive is because he's never really experiencing experienced an authentic life because everything around him essentially has been controlled and his life has com been completely manipulated to follow a storyline, essentially. And so even though he does have control over his thoughts and for the most part what he does and says, 
he ultimately doesn't even have control over the outcome in in path of his life yeah and jim carrey's performance it's so subtle and so nuanced like you gotta watch this a few times and just watch his performance because this role it's incredibly unique there's never been a type of person like this that's ever existed in the history of the world in the history of of fictional literature or or filmmaking or tv shows really and how do you play that kind of character a person whose life has been completely staged since the day he was born shaped and manipulated to fit this predetermined fictional storyline of their life and there's never been a character like this and so fake friends fake family fake world what would their personality really be like and would they be normal how would they be socially i think that's why truman's a bit goofy and silly because he spent his entire life being expected by everyone around him in this fake world to sort of entertain them or to to, they all are well they welcome everything he does in a way and they're they're trying to watch what he does next in a way and so everyone's responded to him in positive ways in terms of the audience in, no in terms of the fake characters okay, in the it. world yeah so and the reason for that is because he's being manipulated by the entire set and i th- i think there are four different ways that um Christoph and the produce in the production team four different ways that they manipulate him and it's uh, control, intervention, encouragement, and fear. And so in terms of control, they control who Truman interacts with. Like they force Merrill on him. They they get rid of Sylvia when they start, um, have like a, a romance blossoming and um, they get rid of his father to create the fear. And then also in terms of intervention, they'll prevent Truman from doing things he wants to do. Like trying to want, trying to leave the island at first, but then becoming afraid of it, scaring him when he ever he goes near the ferry with that boat that's half underwater. And like when he's trying to go to Chicago, having the bus driver kill the transmission of the bus itself and and tr- the traffic stop when he and Merrill are trying to uh, drive away from the, the town. And then also encouragement is used where the characters try to persuade Truman to stay in Sea Haven like Marlon telling him that his job's great. He's lucky he has a desk job. And that and when Truman says he wants to leave, he's, Marlon's like, where would you want to go? There's nowhere else, there's nowhere else to go besides Sea Haven. It's the best place to live. And then like that TV movie is talking is about like the comforts of home and how it's best to stay uh, close to home in, in a small town. And then uh, they finally use fear to keep Truman grounded by creating the fear of his, his fear of the open water. The travel agency is filled with posters that are like terrifying, like a, a plane getting struck by lightning and stuff, and like uh, giant fight wildfires and um, news stories, like on the newspaper and on television and the radio, always promote danger. And so they use these four tactics to keep Truman manipulated and on the island. Yeah, just to stay on fear, and also I think trauma ties into that same theme. Uh, the producers and actors, in a way, they don't believe what they're doing is bad, and they call it a noble life in the film. And they want to give their best performance you know they they justify it in a way but like these people just completely lack morality and they don't even think twice about the trauma that they're inflicting in truman's life like the manufactured drowning of his father at sea what that does to a person and how it's created this intense fear of water and intense fear of leaving sea haven also the the scene where they show the the vicious dog barking at him when he's trying to cross to go to the ferry, not to mention the psychological deterioration of his mind that could easily happen to this person if he ever discovers the truth. And they even, like you said, test his ability to leave Sea Haven when they give him that job that's out on in a different island, so he has to take the ferry. But I think they do this as a way to to test that trauma that he has, if it's still 
if it still works in terms of holding him back and not wanting him to leave the island and does he still have the the fear from water the fear from the incident with his father as a child when he drowned drowned and i think this is a really important psychological trick that the producers of the truman show have done because they've really actually created trauma in somebody's life with a fictional event and a lot of people could point that out as being a plot hole like what if he did get on the ferry and try to leave but obviously since they have total control over everything even the weather even if truman does get on that ferry one day to test it out they could just like have the ferry sink or have a huge storm turn them around so there's no risk involved for them by having him by encouraging him to leave like that's like his co-worker by trying to get him to leave and saying even his job depends on it if he doesn't get this sale and then seeing what he his reaction is to uh, approaching the ferries and the docks and so there's really no risk because even if he does they can have him turn around it's like a psychological safe haven for the producers of the film but also Christoph explains when he's on the the phone call with Sylvia about halfway through the film during that interview on on TV that he says if Truman really truly wanted to discover the truth he could do it and they couldn't stop him which obviously eventually happens throughout the film but also i think before we talk about that one of the main themes of the film also is fate and this concept of truman having minimal control and direction of his life like you talked about i think that ties in with fate and god and fatalism are our lives predetermined are we just passengers along for this journey truman's fate is clearly chosen and selected to fit his narrative that the producers want he's never been in control of his life are we all like that are we all part of this predetermined plan with the illusion of free will and I think the the ending of the film shows that both are false beliefs because Truman eventually rejects his reality and diverts from the fate of the show once he discovers the truth. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped.com, the leaders in men's grooming. Over 2 million men currently are using products from Manscaped because it's the best you can buy. Their lawnmower 3.0 groomer is phenomenal. It's got a built-in light. It's sensitive to the touch. It's waterproof. You can use this thing in the shower. It's incredible. And, you know, lockdown's being lifted soon, everybody. You got to get ready. You got to get out there in the real world, and you got to take care of your business, and you got to look sharp and pristine. Head on over to Manscaped.com using our coupon code Raiders of the Lost to get 20% off and free shipping. Again, Raiders of Lust at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an incredible gift for the men in your life. Fellas, you gotta get on Manscaped. Best products around. I think another major theme on top of fate is the idea of, uh, of escape and escapism. There are all sorts of escapes that we can take in life, and it could be like watching a movie or playing a video game, or like most short-term pleasures are escapes from reality, and Nicole and, P and Peter Weir were so ahead of their time in showing the almost addiction that people in terms of the audience in the film have towards being um, plugged in to Truman's life on a regular basis 24-7. Like, for example, like that man who's always watching in the tub and he, he, he falls asleep and, and all the different characters who are audience members. Two old women with yeah, the Truman two, pillow. Yeah, the pillow and even people in the restaurant at the bar are watching like... It showed that people, um, they gravitate towards trying to escape reality by focusing on something else, like a television program, like nowadays social media. And I think that they were really accurate with the depiction of how, like, if something, so before, there's never, before uh, smartphones and there was never a, a sh you can never just watch television or anything 
24 7 like you had to like a program you mean yeah a program you like you had to go to work you had to do things you had to go to the store but now i mean look, you could technically watch the weather 24 7 yeah, like, <laughs> at the grocery store <laughs> but now we have a smartphone and we can watch things listen to things endlessly without without a break you could constantly be watching something even while you're doing tasks and 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 even when you've left the house and i think that um this show showed that people a lot of people would gravitate towards that mindless constant distraction and escapism and it's really telling i think for i think humanity in a way that there's just a small minority of people in this world in the film that are rejecting this program and and want truman freed and they they consider he's trapped in a prison because he really is trapped in a prison that he he really a psychological prison a fake world and that's where Lauren, who's really whose real name in the film is Sylvia, she was an extra on the on the show that, you know, we have the love at first sight situation and they run off together and she tries to explain to him what's going on. But how do you tell somebody that their world is fake? I mean, it's like Inception. Like, how do you say the world you live in is not real? It's really intense. I'm sure it's almost impossible for someone to to accept that just from a three minute conversation. And, and so, it's not like they stole him. Like he was born as part of the corporation's program. Yeah. And the cool thing, the interesting thing about that is. There, the only reason why Truman was chosen was because of all the babies that were being born from uh, adoption from parents that didn't want them anymore. His was the perfect timing for the show of when they wanted to start the program. So it was really just a coincidence of him being born at that correct time. It could have been any of those other unwanted childs. But Lauren, aka, I mean, Sylvia, she technically, she's like one of the only people in the show that actually cares about Truman. And she's just an extra. That's why she doesn't get to develop a relationship with Truman. She's not supposed to be part of the narrative. And that's when we see uh, Meryl gets thrown into the mix when, the, when he's at the band in college. And then I love how Lauren is wearing that button, how it's going to end. And that probably is part of like this underground movement of fe of freeing Truman from, from this reality, this fake world. And that's probably a subtle but enormous theme of Truman's life. The Truman Show, how long can they keep it going? What is going to happen when it, it does end? You can't keep someone mentally trapped like this for so long. And then we have Truman recreating that photo of Lauren to try to keep that memory of her intact. And the reason for that is because Lauren is the only real thing that ever happened to him. Sylvia, really, though. Sil I mean, Sylvia. Sylvia was the only real thing that ever happened to Truman his entire life. Everything was staged or controlled or or, or um, meant to happen or or manipulated to happen. And and she their, their romance spawned naturally, and it was unplanned. And so... Uh, I think that's why he was, is unable to ever forget her or and that's why he's also motivated to escape to try and find her because it's the only real thing that he's ever experienced even though he, he doesn't know that. Yeah. But deep down part of him feels that. Yeah, he wants to go to Fiji. We we always are wondering why does he want to go to Fiji and we think it's because it's the furthest place in the world from Sea Haven. That's where he shows him the golf ball to um um Merrill. I mean to Marlon. Marlon, sorry. All the characters, yeah. actually, their names are actually uh, famous actors. Mar Marlon Brando, Meryl Streep, so that's actually a fun fact. But um, So he's talking to Marlon on the little golf ball. He's like how Sea Haven and Fiji's on the exact opposite side of the world. He says that you can't get further away by going forwards or backwards from it on Earth. And the reason why he chooses Fiji, we find out, is because when the producers send in the fake actor that says it's Lauren or Sylvia's father, says that she has schizophrenia and they're moving to Fiji, and now he has this obsession to go to Fiji and find Lauren, a.k.a. Sylvia, again. 
And I like how you mentioned that he is trapped in a lot, and especially the people who are part of the organization that Sylvia is a part of and who protest against the show and tr- want to try and get it and try and get, put an end to it. Kristoff, um, the creator of the show, he, he feels quite the opposite. He doesn't feel as though Truman has been trapped there. The, uh, the reason why Kristoff created the show in the first place, he alludes to, is the fact that he views the world as a bad place filled with like sin and and in death and, and he thinks it's a, a, a bad it's the world has become a, a, a horrible place to grow up in and so Kristoff created the Truman Show's world Sea Haven as a utopian society that he has control of where uh, Truman doesn't have to experience pain uh, and and he can live in comfort and live in peace and so he think Kristoff thinks that he is is uh giving Truman uh, a beautiful idyllic life and that's why he has such a different opinion and doesn't feel any guilt or regret for what he's been doing yeah and that conversation that he has with sylvia when she calls into the interview and she he again he basically justifies everything he does because truman has really no pain and he's in the safest most perfect world that could exist and i think Kristoff thinks he's a god or essentially is a godlike figure in the film to truman he for sure fancies himself when he's constantly talking about the world that he created for truman it's obviously like kind of a metaphor for the garden of eden and then he even at times he seems to act like a father to truman in a way watching from a distance caressing truman's face on that large screen while he sleeps and it's obviously similar to the possibility of god to humans we don't truly understand their existence outside of belief so we're in a prominent way ignorant to the existence of a godlike figure if there is one. And they even do that shot at the end when Truman's about to go. He he's on the top of the staircase, and when he's speaking to Kristoff, the the way Peter Weir shoots it, where he has Truman shot, and then he cuts to the sun behind the clouds as it's like a godlike image with uh, Kristoff's voice coming from there. So he's alluding to the idea that Kristoff feels like he is a god. Yeah, I see that theme of God every time I watch this film. Like, whether you believe in religion or a higher power or not, you can't deny the truth that we've all had these questions in our head about life and existence. Is there a God? Did God create this world for us? And I think most fascinating of all, what would it be like to talk to God if God actually called out to us and we answered back? And that's kind of the interaction that happens at the end of the film. And also, this this movie brings a lot of questions of of ethical behavior into the mix in terms of uh, of the cast and production itself, especially considering uh, Truman's family family and close friends, the couple who play his parents, Marlon. Um, these are all actors who are there uh, performing, and it brings into question how ethical is what they're doing in terms of manipulating this person and the most ethical question i think would be meryl's character his wife who uh, basically is essentially if you if you get if you look at it she's prostituted to truman she's literally hired to have uh, intimate and sexual relationship with truman so in a way the production prostituted her to him um although yeah yes they are they end up getting married but essentially she was there for that specific reason which is Highly unethical if you look at it that way. And then to keep going on that, Kristoff's, one of his main motivations and main goals with the show is to have the first on-air conception. And so that's where Meryl ties in. That's where the new love interest comes in later on. So he wants to have the first baby made on camera and then born again on television. I think, again, this relates to him being thinking he's a god and, and wanting to be a godlike figure. The biggest ethical question is the idea of freedom. Truman is free to a certain extent within this bubble. 
but otherwise he doesn't have freedom. And Kristoff thinks that he's created a, a comfortable home for him, but in reality he's taken away Truman's freedom because uh, Truman hasn't been able to become a real version of himself because of the manipulation that he's constantly lived through. And so he doesn't have real freedom. Again, that ties into fate. Are we all on this like one path, but we can like, you know, divert and get like pizza for dinner tonight instead of what our, our fate said we were going to get uh, Chinese food or something like that. So that's kind of like the Truman reality. And again, to stay on, to, on Christoph for a little bit and the morality of what he does is again, like a godlike figure, he's ready to stand by and watch whatever happens to Truman happen, whether it results in his death or not. And, and Kristoff and his army of actors and crew, they set out on a daily mission for over 10,000 days to ensure Truman never discovers the truth. And Kristoff will go to almost any length to prevent Truman from finding the truth and almost drowns him at the end of the film. And he even says when the, when the producers of the show are telling him that they can't kill the person on TV, they can't do that on live television, everyone's watching, Kristoff says, why not? He was born on TV, so he'll do anything to Truman that will appease the, the audience and appease the narrative. This episode is sponsored by MoviePosters.com. Use our coupon code Raiders15 to get 15% off your order today. If you're checking out our podcast online, especially on YouTube, you can see that our set is decked out with these, with these amazing posters from MoviePosters.com. This is high-quality printing. MoviePosters.com has pretty much every movie imaginable. They can handle any kind of size, framing, backlighting, whatever you want for your movie poster. If you have a passion and a love for movies and television, there's no way to, better way to express that love than by decorating your place with movie posters. Head on over to MoviePosters.com and use our coupon code Raiders15 to get 50% off your order today. Also, head on over to our website, www.RaidersOfTheLostPodcast.com. On that, we have a tab showing our custom-made movie posters, which this company is selling on their website. So head on over to our site to check that out as well. And I think it's endlessly fascinating to think of the the scale and size of the production itself. And uh, Peter Weir uh, did such a brilliant job of of cleverly hiding the production in terms of especially like the cameras. Like uh, you don't notice it on a pot when you watch it for the first time, but on second and repeat viewings, you'll notice in the first act of the movie that there are camera lenses hidden everywhere, whether it be on the trash can of his neighbor or or on the the fence posts or on on walls and and on buildings and you'll see these black lenses and the first time you see it that goes right over your head but upon repeat viewings you just see them everywhere and it's a, an amazing easter egg hunt within the entire film and on top of that peter weir shows a lot of the audience's pov by using fisheye lenses to film many of the scenes and interactions with truman and the other characters showing that this is all staged and filmed with these lenses that are hidden and they're fisheye lenses because they have to be hidden in like on a flat surface so they can't have like a big lens on it and and I, they're tiny yeah and they're, and they're really small so i i love that aspect of the of the filmmaking of this movie yeah and peter baizu he uh was a cinematographer on the film and they did a phenomenal job just combining cinematic shots with these reality TV type shots, these hidden camera shots, these these micro camera shots, and then cutting to the random viewers around the world with those POV shots in Peter Ware and Baizu, they filmed in a one six six one ratio to feel make it feel more like a television show. But that only is present in the DVD re release. The theatrical cut was cropped to one eight five one, and the Blu-ray release was cropped to one seventy eight one to make it f feel more like a film rather than a television show. And the overall look of the film it's influenced by television shows 
uh, commercials, especially like obviously we have so many product placements done on purpose because the Truman Show makes its money off product placements and ad revenue, ad revenue. So that's why it's all over the place. And that's why those, those twins throw him up on that poster every day. His wife is always advertising Mococo, cocoa, hot cocoa powder and all sorts of things in the house. And that's also why the whole movie is uh, brightly lit. So if you watch the film, other than exterior shots, all the interiors, whether it be in cars or inside buildings, the offices or, or the homes, it's always very brightly lit. Um, and they did this on purpose because the show itself would want everything to be as visible as possible because they're, because the, they're advertisers that they're promoting in the show itself. So that's why all the scenes are so brightly lit. And I think Laura Linney is phenomenal in this film. She's terrific in everything she's ever done. But she's she's such a great character because, she's again, she's playing really two roles in this movie where she's playing Hannah Gill, the real actor, the real person, and then Meryl Burbank, the character of Truman Burbank's wife. And she has this great line in that opening interview of her as Hannah Gill where she says, there's no difference between a private life and a public life. My life is the Truman Show. And she calls it, again, an honorable profession to have. And Laura Linney does a phenomenal job like playing this, these subtle acting but not acting expressions in, in, uh, in body language movements while she's like talking to Truman alone in their house. You can see her or other characters as well. They're like they're watching Truman as actors acting and they're also actors in real life, obviously. But then you see like the subtle eye movements of oh maybe their eyes go wide while Truman's not looking at them and they're like in their head like is he believing what I'm saying right now? So she just has this great nuanced performance. There's a great moment of the eye thing you just mentioned with his mother when he when he goes to his mother tell, talking about how he saw his father in the town square and she she goes on a little uh, she she has a few lines of dialogue and then she does like this side eye thing like I I hope you I hope you believe that so characters are always doing that and Laura Linney her character Meryl. And Marlon essentially are the two people, two closest people to Truman in his life. And they're essentially there, yes, to play their parts, but they're also there to help control Truman in a lot of ways and to help keep him under the 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 facade of the show and to keep him from straying too far away from um the idyllic paradise that he thinks Sea Haven is. So for example, Marlon is always telling him how great it is here and um, there's no reason to want to leave and how great his job is. And, and Meryl does the same thing. And so they're always, they're there to kind of keep Truman in line as well. So the, the production needed two people to be his on either side of him, to keep him in line with what they needed Truman to do and say. And the film gets intense when Truman starts to see these cracks in his reality in this facade. And actually the first things start happening right away, these, these catalysts. And there's a, there's a great list of catalysts, like the light falls from the sky in the first morning we see him leaving his house and Truman recognizing his dad, the actor who snuck on set to get back onto the Truman show and that rain production error where it falls just on him in one spot on the beach. And then he's in on the radio frequency by accident of the production TV and crew. And and again, like you said, Meryl and Marlon are really the main players in trying to keep this facade hidden from him. And he really actually fully starts to crack when he sees the people behind him in the rearview mirror with, with Mar Meryl in the car with him. And then he's driving with Meryl and they do the he does the fake roundabout going back home and he shows that the traffic is all staged and synchronized. And then it gets to the point where he's trying he wants to escape. Sea Haven. He wants to go over the bridge, but he, he can't even drive over water. And his Meryl's even like, oh, honey, don't forget. Don't you remember? You're afraid to drive over water. Let's just go home. And he, what he does to escape his fear, because again, this is a very and brilliant piece of writing where 
he's starting to realize his reality is fake, but he still has this deep built-in trauma and fear that's real. That is real to him, even though it's manufactured in a way from his past. But he still has this intense fear that he still can't overcome. And so he closes his eyes, hits, hits the gas, and puts Merrill's hands on the steering wheel to drive across the bridge. Yeah, it's a great moment. And this shows that the, sh- that the Truman Show itself has uh, fail-safes for extreme circumstances regarding Truman's escape and desire to leave. And so um, obviously they have the storm and being able to create weather on the water. And then for him to escape by land, they have this extraordinary, extraordinary circumstance of a nuclear facility blowing and um, it being dangerous to be outside. And that's how he's captured. And so Kristoff uh, has installed these fail safes within the world to prevent Truman, though, even though he wants so badly to leave, to eventually stop him from leaving. So that shows exactly that he isn't free and he doesn't have control of his life at all because even when he does try to leave, they stop him over and over again. Yeah, and again, one of my favorite parts of the film, I think, and so telling is that conversation between Sylvia and Kristoff. And Kristoff has explained to Sylvia, Sylvia that the world, the real world is sicker than his world. And if Truman was absolutely determined to leave, he could. But Kristoff says that Truman prefers his cell. He prefers his prison. And then after this interview, though, that's when Truman escapes. You know, this is where he fakes that he's going back to normal and he's living his normal life. But really, at this point, Truman has rejected his reality fully. He doesn't know the extent of what's going on. He knows there's a grand conspiracy, of course. He doesn't, I don't think he realizes that there are 5,000 cameras on the island. Obviously, he can assume there's some because he does that staged thing in the basement to pretend like he's sleeping to escape. But Truman rejects his reality, and this leads to him escaping, and Kristoff panics, and he's he's putting the entire show in jeopardy just to find Truman. And he also believes that he can control Truman so much and knows more about Truman than Truman does that he thinks that creating the, the violent storm on the water will make Truman turn back out of fear. And Truman says this line later in the film when they, them two are sharing dialogue that he says, you were never in my head. You never had a camera in my head. And so ultimately that's Christoph's hubris of thinking that he could manipulate Truman to the extent of un- knowing what he's thinking. And he never understood that Truman had his own thoughts to himself and he's his own person. And that's why he's eventually able to escape and overcome that storm. Yeah, and then when he crashes into the wall, it's just really incredible filmmaking, and visually, we've never really seen anything like it, and I'm sure a lot of Flat Earthers were like, I told you, there's a wall there. <laughs> <laughs> what do Flat Earthers think the water goes? They think there's just a uh, giant ice wall. I think, I don't know. An ice wall? Yeah, just an ice wall around the entire... Anyways, we're not going to get into <laughs> Flat Earth right now. Sorry if you believe in that, but, you know. <laughs> I'm just curious what they think water goes. But again, this is where he, he crashes into the wall, and we have him walking up those steps that are are painted to look like the sky and blend in and he has the conversation with Kristoff and again this is like god talking to you and you're having a discourse with with your creator the creator of your reality in a way and this is when Kristoff tells him that you're on tv say something you're you're live to the entire world and i think this is the first time truman really understands ne- Okay, I'm a t- this is a TV show. It's an act and everyone's watching me in the world because I don't, again, I don't think he understood the extent of what it was really, but he knew his world was fake. And Truman refuses to give Kristoff this finale that he wants. I think Kristoff wants something grand from Truman, a grand gesture or, or a great 
great dialogue or great monologue for Truman. But what Truman does is he gives him that catchphrase, uh, the good afternoon, good evening, good night. And I think that's Truman just giving a big middle finger to Kristoff at the end of the film being like, you don't control me, you don't control my life, and I'm going to ruin the end of your show. And also, I, he understood that the entire thing was a performance. Even though he didn't know he was performing, he essentially was performing for the world. And so I think that he's, he gives that bow at the end by saying this is the curtain call and the show is over. And it's a great scene because it is about Truman overcoming his fear and overcoming his his boundaries and escaping and finding free, freedom for the first time. And I'm just, I always, whenever I see this movie, I'm so curious about what happens to Truman when he enters the real world and what the world's reaction to seeing him would be like and what what choices he would make as a real person. Honestly, I don't see this as a happy ending to the film. I see it as like a, a tragic ending and this tragic character because after Truman escapes, we can assume that his psychological makeup is going to be c completely destroyed. I mean, how can he ever trust anyone or anything in the rest of his life? And I, I love to think, like you just said, what's what's it going to be like when he leaves and he enters the real world? How would he react to, to everyone? And I completely believe that he'll have serious emotional trauma, develop probably extreme paranoia and anxiety, that, that he's being watched everywhere he goes because <laughs> – I mean, if you think about it, he was already and now probably even worse because he knows he was being watched. Now he'll probably develop schizophrenia, I think. And because he's the most famous person on the planet, probably the most influential, famous person besides Jesus Christ himself in terms of, of popularity and paparazzi and random people will be following him and filming him everywhere. So even though he didn't really know about all the 5,000 hidden cameras, he'll have 5,000 public cameras pointing at him everywhere he goes. So I think that it's probably... A tragic ending to his life in after he leaves Sea Haven. Yeah, that could be uh, a reason why Kristoff thinks that he's better off inside the Truman Show because he's safe and comfortable there, and it's peaceful there. Whereas the world definitely would be chaotic around him, and uh, he would never have a normal life for from being the most famous person alive. Uh, there's no way you could ever have a a simple life, and. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting way to put well, it. Well, think about it. He's yeah. beyond famous. Yeah. He's like a different Every, level of yeah, famous. Everyone, like, yeah. Was it like 2 billion people watch the show or but, something? But I mean, you can assume yeah. that 6 billion people know of the show, at yeah. least everyone who has modern technology. And then you can just, just imagine like, yeah, obviously Tom Cruise is probably like the most famous actor alive. And, you know, our presidents are the most famous people. But Truman's on an even different level than that. He's on a stratosphere. Yeah, he's like a beetle. So even, even more, dude. Yeah. So it'd be... It, it'd probably be a horrible life, I think, and I think he would go crazy. He would probably try to escape with Sylvia to go somewhere extremely secluded. Where can he? He just have to go to the middle of the woods. I don't know. <laughs> go to Fiji. Maybe he goes to one of those undiscovered islands in Fiji. Yeah. So that's why I always watch Castaway. Yeah, I, <laughs> I watch this movie and I always think this is a, a sad ending to this person's life. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting way to look at it. And I would have totally accepted the ending if they changed it to where Truman chooses his real his fake reality. I could have seen that ending, the movie ending like that in a way. Ah, that would be such a, a hopeless ending. To, I know. to not choose freedom. I know. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, if you think about like that, what the path he's about to be set on, anyways. Yeah, he'll never have freedom. Yeah. Well, the film originally was a lot darker than on screen. Um, Nichols' script was originally about Truman, who was uh, like eighteen, nineteen years old, out of like just graduated high school, and it it was a lot darker in tone, less comedy, and it was also supposed to be set inside of a, a fake New York City. So a huge New York City was supposed to be the Truman Show bubble. And um, uh, Peter Weir inject had him inject a lot more humor, and then obviously casting Jim Carrey brought a lot of humor as well. 
and they lighten the tone a lot. So maybe there was a certain ending like that where he did choose the fake reality because it was darker in tone originally. Yeah, it's almost like um, in The Matrix when Cypher chooses to go back into The Matrix because he can't handle the real world. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> <laughs> and then a year after this film came out, in 1999, Ed TV came out, which is yeah. a similar film about a reality, a person being filmed 24-7 for reality TV. but With McConaughey. McConaughey, but... Obviously, this is what major studios do. They compete with film ideas. And it's, if one studio, Pixar, comes up with a script called A Bug's Life, then another studio, DreamWorks, is going to copy it and make Ants. So this is kind of like a back and forth thing we I see it. <laughs> with a lot of studios. And the, the di obviously, the difference between Ed TV is McConaughey's character, Ed, he chooses the life. He signs up for it. And we're seeing the cameras the whole time. It's it's an interesting take on it, too. It's a really cool movie. I like it. Yeah, it's actually a, a decent rom-com. It's pretty good. And um, it's, it's got Woody Harrelson in it. So it's that... I think it's the first movie with uh, McConaughey and Harrelson together. The best buds. As, like, the coolest duo ever. They seem like so much fun <laughs> to hang out with. And it is an interesting take on it. I think they went more for an MTV style of uh, documentary style filmmaking for that, with just the cameraman following them around, like, TMZ style. So it's not elaborate and controlled. Like nothing else is controlled. Nothing about Ed TV is controlled like the Truman Show. It's just filmed. So that's the main difference between those two films. These two movies, Ed TV and Truman Show, they obviously um, were the precursor to the boom, the, the gigantic explosion of reality TV on our airwaves. How about we move on to uh, fun facts about the Truman Show? Let's go. In an early scene of The Truman Show, a large bottle of vitamin D can be seen on Truman and Merrill's kitchen table. Vitamin D, as many know, is needed for those who, without exposure to the real sun, alluding to the fact that Truman has never really been exposed to the real sun, so he needs vitamin D, so he needs vitamin D tablets to stay healthy. According to a 2008 New York Times article, psychologists in Britain and the United States reported that a number of people experiencing Truman syndrome or the Truman Show delusion, the belief that they were, they are the unwitting star of their own reality TV show. Many afflicted specifically mentioned the film in therapy. And more recently, on September 16, 2013, the, the detailed account of one Ohio student who suffered for years from the Truman Show delusion was documented in the New Yorker magazine article, Unreality Star by Andrew Morantz. Would they have ever developed a the delusion if they ever never saw the Truman Show? Uh, probably not, but I'm sure, again, this is, I think people probably believe this in a way, you know, it's, it's paranoia and there's even- A way one, to explain, like, if they're suffering from schizophrenia, yeah, it's schizophrenia, a way to explain extreme that. Extreme anxiety, extreme yeah. paranoia, where you're being watched, that's probably been going on forever in terms of modern technology in the 20th century. And then there's even a story, I think, where one person even climbed and, and broke into the top of the of the Statue of Liberty, I think it was, because he thought that he was going to find his high school sweetheart there or something like that, and that, that would conclude his, his re reality TV show. That would be show. like the climax of the show? Yeah, that would be the end of the show. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. It was either that or the Empire State Building. Wow, that's interesting. Every street name in Sea Haven refers to a movie actor, Lancaster Square, Barrymore Road, and again, the cast members, all their names relate to actors as well, Merrill, Marlon, Mer Lauren, Kirk, Angela, etc., the Truman Show has a really iconic poster. It's a, it's a rendition of Jim Carrey's face as Truman made from thousands upon thousands of little tiny uh, stills and photographs. And I mean, it's a, it's a famous type of art form that was really popular back then. This type of art was created by Rob Silverman, and he was hired to make the poster for this movie by the studio. And it, he charged $75,000 for the, the creation of this poster. 
which I think is like the most expensive movie poster ever made. The location shoot for Sea Haven Island, where the you know the film's fake town in the dome, which was actually uh, right above Hollywood, uh, in the va- it's in the valley, right? That's where the dome is. It's right yeah. right above right north of the Hollywood sign. Yeah, it's in Studio City. It was actually they filmed in a place called Seaside, Florida, and when director Peter Weir arrived there. His, with his pre-production team, he said, unpack our things, we found our town. It's perfect. And actually, those, the two um, uh, foreign men who are talking in the cafe, the patio, remember when, when Truman is first discovering how weird things are when he skips work and is just watching everyone, there's two, uh, I think they're speaking Italian, I can't tell, um, two older men. Um, they're actually the owners of the land of that entire town. Wow, that's pretty so cool. So that's, that's, they're just cameoing in the movie. The large black diamond on Truman's ring uh, is actually uh, a small hidden camera. And I never noticed it until like repeat viewings of this movie, but it's a really fun little Easter egg of cameras being everywhere. At this point in Jim Carrey's career, he was earning $20 million per role. That was his, uh, that was his uh, quota. And for this film, he, he was so committed to the story itself and wanting to uh, try out dramatic acting. He uh, lowered his salary down to $12 million to make it easier for the production. And the production of The Truman Show was also delayed for a year so that Jim Carrey could star in both The Cable Guy and Liar Liar. The Cable Guy is a very underrated movie. That movie is hysterical. Yeah, Ben Stiller made that. Uh, we've talked about before how Jim Carrey is such an underrated uh, dramatic actor with regards to how the Academy voters uh, see him. He's never even gotten nominated for an Oscar at all, even though he's had some really remarkable performances and great movies. Um, but the Golden Globes have recognized him multiple times, and Jim Carrey uh, won the Golden Globe for Best Actor in both the drama category and the comedy musical categories. Uh, he won for The Truman Show. He won for this, and then he won for The Man on the Moon. He's the only actor to have won Golden Globes in both those categories and never be nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, I think the Academy, they just have this belief that they like don't want to taint their prestigious awards with comedic actors and comedic films. And I think I think the last film, last comedy that was nominated for an Oscar, I think, was The Artist. And that, I mean, you can say that's a comedy, but it's more... Uh, the Disaster Artist was nominated. That's a comedy. Okay, yeah, Disaster Artist. Yeah, you yeah. can say that's a comedy. Yeah. Or, it's, or maybe I'm wrong. Um, but, no, but No, but you're right in a way comedies have are shown the least amount of respect from the Academy. I mean, Bill Murray only has one Oscar nomination. He's been in some great dramatic films, and he got that nom for Lost in Translation. But, I mean, they just, aside from Robin Williams, com- comedic actors just really don't get any, get any respect in that way from them. Yeah, hence Adam Sandler. Same thing. It's absurd that Jim Carrey has never been nominated for an Oscar. He should have even gotten nominated as the Riddler because he is absolutely insane in that movie in a good way. I mean, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, that's one of the best performances he's ever done in his career. It's, mm-hmm. it's so phenomenal. And it's just, it blows my mind. You, you wish, but then, you know, it starts to make you think differently about award shows when stuff like that happens. You know, it's not really fully about the the, the movies that came out that year. There's always a storyline. There's always a narrative. But I think, again, they have a, a distaste for comedic actors. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, a distaste. All right, that wraps our episode on The Truman Show. Be sure to go to RaidersOfTheLostPodcast.com, become a member of Patreon, and check out all of our content sources, our merch, our movie posters from MoviePosters.com. Get your custom one today, and thank you so much for tuning in, everybody.
Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Thank you for watching Raiders of the Lost podcast. Hit that subscribe button and notification bell. Listen to the audio formats of Raiders of the Lost podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast.